joy, peace, tranquility, vibrancy, and wellness. Isn't this what you want instead of constant stress? That's what host Rochelle Lawson is going to help you with on Blissful Living. There are many ways to reduce stress, some you may not even know about. Doesn't a little peace and tranquility sound like just what you've been looking for? Relax for a few minutes with Rochelle. She's the queen of feeling fabulous. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blissful Li- to the Blissful Living Hour. I am Rochelle Lawson, the queen of feeling fabulous, and I am your host for this fabulous hour that we're going to journey into blissful living. And today we're going to probe into how we can do that. I have a wonderful guest who is going to introduce us to um, some wonderful ways that we can basically um, design our life around being blissful. And she is Edie Weinstein, the bliss mistress. How wonderful does that sound? Now listen to <laughs> Edie comes to us. Well, let me tell you a little bit about what someone said about Edie. Edie lights up a room with her enchanting look at life, reminding us all that joy is just a flick of the of your wand away. And I love that. Now, let me just give you a little bit more background with regards to Edie's credentials so that you can really get, you know, some information and really be able to sink into this hour of li- listening to Edie. Now, Edie... Um, as again, she's, you know, the bliss mistress, which is fabulous. It goes with the title of, you know, the blissful living show. But in 1980, in 1998, I'm sorry, she had some things that changed her, you know, her life in multiple ways. Um, she went from being a 40 year old married woman working in a business with her husband who had a life challenge, you know, who had, um, a life challenging and ultimately life ending disease. Can you imagine that? And she had a child that she had to raise by herself and she's 40 years old. She's a widow. She's a single mom and she became, you know, put in a situation that sometimes can, you know, tend to tend to push us through the loop, so to speak. And so what she decided to do was she decided to, um, to you know, get down and just hunker away and plow through it. And some of this was born out of financial necessity, some by the um, creative invitation and resolute beckoning by the news to use her gifts that she had that had been existing in her for a while. And she wanted to go out and speak and, and let people know, uh, be motivational and letting people know that this things that happen in your life just does not have to end with, you know, what happens in your life. So Edie Weinstein is a work in progress. Like everyone else on the planet, the artist of her own design and mistress of her own bliss, she has agreed to come onto the show today to discuss that with us. She is a career journalist with 23 years of experience interviewing some of the most amazing movers and shakers on this planet, including Joan Borinsenko, Ben and Jerry, Shirley MacLaine, Ram Dass, Michael Beckwith, Jack Canfield, Alan Cohen, Karen Drucker, Judith Orloff, Louise Hay, Marianne Williamson, Dan Millman, Wayne Dyer, Elizabeth Lester, Ariel Ford, Debbie Ford. Oh, my gosh, the list goes on. And let me tell you this, even His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. So in addition to her being the bliss mistress and her success as a journalist and interviewing all these fabulous people that we, you know, they're the stars of 
of how to live our life um, blissfully with optimal, optimal health and wellness. Edie is here with us today. So I could ramble on and on and on about Edie, but that's not what it's about. Let's just jump into the show and we're going to jump right in and start conversating with Edie. Edie, welcome to Blissful Living. How are you? Thank you. Boy, that woman is busy. <laughs> wow. And no wonder I'm still in my PJs here as we're recording this interview. I was telling you uh, before we started that this is one of those days where I'm working from home, which is part of the transformation that I experienced. So, wow. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be on your show. And uh, clearly we're, you know, we're sisters in bliss. You know, we want to help people live their blissful out. So thank you for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome. And I I went through kind of a long introduction, but I wanted to let people know that, you know, you're not only the bliss mistress, but you have had contact with some of the powerhouses that we look up to, right, in, in living this beautiful life that we're trying to live here while we're on this planet Earth. And so I just wanted to give a background. So I apologize to my listeners if you felt the introduction was kind of long, but I just wanted to set the precedence or set it up for you to let you know the kind of guest that Edie is and what she's done and who she's talked to and how she's going to, you know, share with us um ways that we can live bliss because she is the bliss mistress. So Edie, tell us, since you call yourself the bliss mistress, I'm wondering how you define bliss. Well, I look at bliss as being fully present to every moment, to have your senses fully alive to everything that's going on. So if you're eating, really taste your food. If you're with somebody, be fully present with them, looking them in the eye, connecting heart to heart. If you're out in nature and you can be barefoot in the grass, feel the grass between your toes. If you're listening to music, really listen to the, not just the words, but the nuances and the sounds and you know, just, just use everything you've got. And in that way, you're going to be experiencing bliss. But bliss doesn't always mean jumping up and down excited about things. It, it means sometimes being still and silent and allowing everything to flow through you. And, and everybody defines it for themselves. I can't tell you what your bliss is. Only you can do that. I like that because, you know, the whole – usually when we talk on the show, it's, you know, things and ways to help reduce our stress or eliminate stress, and which is fabulous because that's what – that really is a good, you know, a good starting point. And stress, you know, we know all causes um, – you know, disease, illness, and creates havoc in our life. But Mm -hmm. I like the fact that we're going to really focus on bliss. The show is Blissful Living. You're the bliss mistress. And really, I like how you said for everyone, you know, that's your definition of bliss, but bliss could be something different for someone else. Whatever your definition is, just make a point to experience that each and every day. And that that is really, really um, a beautiful way to start the day. Now, how did um, this, this, uh, this drive, no, that's not what, this this determination to live bliss after you had that very, you know, life-changing incident that happened in your life, how did this this drive you to figure out, you know, I could sit and sulk all I want to and be depressed and, and you know, be the victim of what's happening to me in my life, but you didn't do that and you went completely opposite into creating bliss for you. How did that, how did you get to that turning point? Well, excuse me, it happened actually even before 1998. 1992 was what I lovingly call our year from hell. And in that year, um, 
in seeing, my husband and I had moved down to Florida from the Philadelphia area, which is where we were both raised. And we came down there to publish the second regional edition of our magazine that was called Visions. And it was about holistic health and wellness. And a lot of the people that you mentioned that I interviewed were for that magazine. We started the South Florida edition because we figured there'd be a lot of health conscious people there. So we thought it was the perfect place to go. And my parents had just moved down there. So we said, oh, you know, well, let's pack up and, and move down to sunny South Florida. So in, not in what was the year? February of 92, we adopted our son, who was almost five at the time. In March of that year, I had an ectopic pregnancy. For those that don't know what that is, it means the baby develops in the fallopian tube and it ruptures because it's not supposed to contain a baby. And I didn't even know I was pregnant at the time, and I almost hemorrhaged to death. In May of that year, Michael was diagnosed with hepatitis C, which is a disease that eventually took his life. In August of that year, we we had bought our first home a year earlier in Homestead, Florida. And if that sounds familiar, it's because 20 years ago, August of 1992, Hurricane Andrew whooped through and we lost our home. So that set the stage for what happened six years later. In January of 92, we moved back to Philadelphia and Michael became, uh, you know, went, went on a kind of a treatment roller coaster with the hep C. And in November of 1998 is when he went into the hospital. I spent five and a half weeks with him living in the um, the ICU, didn't sleep at home till the night he died. And I did what I call God wrestling. Um, God and I would have all these dialogues, all these conversations, sometimes at two o'clock in the morning. And I would say, he's mine and you can't have him. And God would say, uh-uh. He's mine and he's on loan to you like everybody else in your life. Mm -hmm. That one line has shaped so much of what I've done since then. I realized that everybody we love will one day die or leave us or we will die or leave them. It's not morbid. It's not, it's sad, but it's not depressing for me. It's exhilarating because I think I want to treasure every person in my life, even if I'm angry with them, even if I'm frustrated, even if they're not doing what I want them to do or I'm not doing what they want me to do. It's all about relationships. So that's how I started living my bliss is to say, how can I get the most out of being with this person, whether they're a friend, a lover, a child, a parent, whoever it is, you know, a client, um, a radio talk show host like right now. <laughs> how can I get the most out of talking to you? connecting with you right. you're on the west coast i'm on the east coast so that to me is how i how i'm able to live my bliss is to encourage people to do that as well that was a pivotal moment for me that got me through in the face of michael's death in the face of being widowed at 40 in the face of having to start all over again um i had amazing support so my parents who, who have both since died um my dad almost five years ago my mom mm-hmm. a little more than two years ago mm-hmm. um were huge supports my family my friends my spiritual practice, that got me through. And now all these years later, 14 years later, I'm living an amazing life. So, so now, what, what yeah. would you tell someone that's in, facing those kind of, you know, I want to say crossroad decisions in their life, what would you yeah. tell, what would be one thing you would tell them um, beyond what you just mentioned with regards mm-hmm. to how you started your, you know, going from the life that you could have been, muddy and murky to the life of bliss what would be one thing you would tell someone that they that help you know to help them jump mm-hmm. start yep one thing i tell my clients all the time is that you have survived everything that has ever happened in your life because you're here to talk about it mm-hmm. you something got you through what got you through then and let's take a look at that and let's see what can get you through now 
what are your resources, not just financial, but what are your spiritual, emotional, physical assets that you can that you can grab hold of? Who are your supports, whether they're people or animals or the God of your understanding? Now, saying that, I don't have I don't tell anybody what to believe spiritually. Right. Uh, whether or not you have a spiritual practice is totally personal. But if you have one, use that as a tool to help you heal your life. That's something that that was huge for me. One of the things that I did back then, I, I enrolled in a seminary. They became an interfaith minister right after Michael died, and mm-hmm. I'll tell you more about that if you know, that comes up. But that got me through. That was part of my healing. I didn't go to any grief support groups, but they're wonderful. I didn't go to grief counseling, and that's wonderful mm-hmm. for people too. But my grief support, my healing, was being engaged in something. And that's a second thing too. Get yourself engaged in something that is your passion. And it doesn't mean you jump right into it as crazy as I was doing that. Right. Um, grieve. Let yourself grieve. Um, I have a tendency to shut down grief. Not healthy. <laughs> I can right. tell you. I right. have friends that, you know, all these years later, since my mom died, you know, I still haven't really grieved my mom's death. But let yourself grieve in whatever healthy way you can and find a purpose. Find a direction to take yourself. Otherwise, you'll flounder. You know, and so I think those are important things, too. So I'm going to just take this moment and say, hey, listeners out there, you know, I usually give you guys a heads up about uh, getting that piece of paper and that pen or something to write with and sitting back and relaxing and absorbing the information and taking notes that with regards to things that might be speaking directly to you. So I'm going to take this time right now and say, go ahead and do that. If you're a regular listener to the show, you probably have already did that, you know, but if you're new to listening to the show or if you're your regular listener and you just, you know, kind of tied up or forgot, then this is a great opportunity to get some, you know, paper out and a, and, um, a pen and, or a pencil and, and just sit back and relax. And if you have time to get your favorite beverage and just really absorb this information that Edie is going to share with us. Now, Edie, you know, um, in the midst of a life change or challenge, you know, change and challenges are really um difficult for people to deal with. We kind of get used to going through, going with the flow, whether we're in a bad situation and it's always bad or good and, you know, change is bad or whatever the case may be. We kind of get used to just going with the flow of things and how they are. But in the midst of a life change or challenge, how is it possible to experience what seems like such an elusive state of, you know, being in a blissful moment? How is it possible for that to, how, how is it possible for us to let that into our lives? You use the word moment, and sometimes it is moment by moment. I'm not telling anybody that it's easy to lose a spouse, a child, a job, health, um, your freedom in some way, money. It's, you know, it sucks. It's hard. It's challenging. I went through my murky, muddy, um, feeling sorry for myself moments. I still do. And yet, if we can grab hold of and and, uh, capture a moment, when noticing that tree over there, the buzz is starting to come out. That could be a blissful moment in the midst of how bad I feel that my loved one isn't there to to enjoy it with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I've become the queen of reframe, where I help people reframe things that don't feel so good. So if you can notice again those senses fully alive, notice <laughs> the sound of a bird chirping out your window. Notice the way the sun comes in the window first thing in the morning. 
Notice how good coffee tastes if you like coffee. Chai is my my caffeine of choice. But yeah, I like chai good, too. <laughs> yeah, and chocolate. Chocolate is my my drug of choice. Um, <laughs> but notice how good mint chocolate chip ice cream tastes if if you like that. Whatever, mm. whatever it is, just realize that this too shall pass. That nothing lasts forever in the form that it's in. I remember a number of years ago, the first time I saw Tibetan monks create a sand mandala. Have you ever seen that before? Do you yeah. know what that is? Yeah. Um, you know, for those that don't know, it's this huge circle with multicolored grains of sand with beautifully intricate designs, and they're usually imbued with prayers for healing or love or peace. And it takes them three or four days down on their hands and knees with this, this little instrument tap, tap, tapping grains of sand. And when they're finished, they disassemble it. You know, they take, we take pictures and it looks pretty and, and then they swish it all away. And it's this big pile of gray sand. And the first time I saw that, I knew it was going to happen. I knew, I, I knew the ritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other people were shocked. But the idea, the Buddhist concept of impermanence is that nothing lasts forever in the form that it's in. So again, everyone is on loan to us. Every piece of artwork is on loan to us. Every experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, all on loan to us. And we get to appreciate it for whatever it is, and then it's gone. And it's no less that beautiful work of art just because it's a pile of muddy, you know, gray sand. So that helps, too, to realize that. I like that. I like um, the fact that, you know, nothing lasts forever. It's just that one moment in time. Although I know some people are like, I've been having these moments for a long time. And I just want to tell those people out there, if you're in a midst of a challenge or chaos or, you know, feeling overwhelmed, stressed, overloaded, or whatever the case may be, just know that that, that moment, it, it is going to pass. It's just something you have to go through. It's like being in the eye of the storm. Eventually, it all fades away, and then you have sunshiny, bright days ahead. But just know that when you're in that moment, just take something that you can create a bliss, you know, that can create bliss for you, whether like Sandy said, I mean, Sandy, like Edie said, um, whether it's, you know, walking on the grass barefoot and feeling the grains of grass, grains, blades of grass, <laughs> I'm thinking of the sand. <laughs> yes, I, you know, that even is walking through the sand and feeling yeah. the grains of sand through your feet or, you know, eating that chocolate bar or, um, you know, Sipping on that chai latte that's just made to absolute perfection, even though you may feel that the walls are tumbling down around you, you can still grasp something positive in your life. The fact that the walls may be tumbling down around you may be not good, but you breathing is a good thing. So just take that. It, it, it could be something as little as that, but just try to take that and hold on to it. And I promise you, promise you, promise you that it will pass and you will have, you know, that beautiful uh, golden rain, golden day with a beautiful rainbow at the end, or as you come through the eye of the storm. So that that's wonderful, Edie. I I like that. Now, since we're often, you know, since we often teach what we need to learn, you know, it's funny that you know how people say, um, pay attention to what keeps repeating in your life, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And if it's bad, you need to really pay attention to it because it's a message. You, you know, you keep repeating this and it keeps coming back in your life. You need to make a change. Um, but since we're often, we often teach what we need to learn, what are some of the life lessons you bump into along your way to, to get to where you are now? 
And this is for those people that are still feeling that they're in the middle of that eye of the storm. I want you guys to really listen to this because this is really going to help you relax and release some of those stressors off your shoulders. And having said that, I'm still in the eye of the storm at times. Um, My life is not always peaceful. Um, It can be chaotic at times. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm the mother of a now 25-year-old son who's (laughs) going to be starting college and you know, moved out, then moved back in, then uh, ideally in the next six months or so we'll be moving out again. Um, and I'll have my, my quiet, clean house to myself. Which is really <laughs> um, so having said that, humor is, is essential. I need to be able to laugh at whatever is coming my way because if I don't, I'll cry a lot more than I do. Right. Um, be, be fully feeling. And again, the teaching what I need to learn, I'm really good at telling other people how to feel their feelings, not so good at doing it myself. Because my um, inner critic monkey mind tells me, you've got to be on, you've got to be, you know, people got to be able to count on you and you can't fall apart. And um, I'm learning to speak to the monkey, feed it a banana to distract it, uh, play with it, dance with it, because what we resist persists. If I try to kick it out, it's only going to come back. Right. Um, so I'm learning to be less self-critical. Back in my 20s, when I was in graduate school, I was having dinner at a friend's house and we were cooking dinner together, mm-hmm. and I was describing some situation. I don't even remember what it was at the time, but Alan looked at me and he said, um, I have this image of you with, uh, holding a whip over yourself. When are you going to put it down? All these years later, I still pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I wouldn't be able to just toss it. So um, that I'm learning that I am enough. And I'm guessing that some of your listeners, I know men go through this too, but I've heard it more from women. We feel like we're never enough. We can never do enough, never be enough, never be pretty enough, thin enough, smart enough, uh, rich enough, successful enough, uh, loving enough, whatever it is, enough is enough. (laughs) Right, right. When are you going to get it? Enough is enough, woman. So I'm learning that. Um, I'm learning that it's okay to be transparent and honest and nakedly vulnerable or vulnerably naked, whichever, however you want to put it, because, again, stripping off the layers helps people to get to know you, and that way your relationships are authentic, and they get all of you, and you are so worth getting done, this is how I want to say it. Oh, yes, I like that. You, I like that. Repeat that again, Edie, because that's a point Uh-oh. that any of us... <laughs> Okay, but I'll say it. I think I remember. I'm yeah. laughing. <laughs> You're like, I was in the moment. You know, you expect yeah, me. Yeah, I'm channeling. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it's funny because when I speak, whether I'm teaching classes or facilitating a support group or doing a, a, a lecture or presentation, people say, can you repeat that? And I'll say, no, I have no clue what I just said. Right. But I, I can give you the gist of it, um, is that when you're nakedly vulnerable and transparent and authentic, people get you, and you are so worth getting gotten, I guess is, is how I would put it, that you're, you know, that you are worth the, you know, having people get to know the real you, because we hide behind these facades, these, you know, these images of who we think we're supposed to be and how we think people want to receive us, and it's fake. It's not real. So I'm learning that. Right. Um, I had a friend who told me that she wouldn't read my book, and I, I wrote a book called The Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary. Yeah. And they're um, chicken soup for this whole slice of life stories. Kind of, you know, some of them are about the things we've already talked about. Right. But my friend Janet, who I've known, oh God, I'm thinking since the early 80s, says, I am not going to read this book, and I gave it to her as a gift, until you show me your anger. 
I want to see you get really mad. Not necessarily mad at me, but I want to see your anger. Right, right. <laughs> you know? So we actually, I went to her home, she and her, her husband, Phil, um, who are involved with this um, uh, organization called the Mankind Project. They uh-huh. do the new warrior training and the woman within training. And um, they said they, they do this like a, like this emotional release kind of exercise. And she said, I want to see you get really angry. And I said, but isn't that going to disturb your neighbors because they live in an apartment? Nah, they're fine. They're used to it. Well, it's going to scare the dogs. Nah, the dogs will be fine. Don't worry. Right. So I I went over to their apartment, and they put a pile of pillows on the living room floor, and she gave me a plastic baseball bat. She said, I just want you to wail away on these pillows, yelling, screaming, cursing, whatever you want. Just let her rip. And I did it. I felt really silly at first. And I've done all these things in personal growth trainings. I've been a therapist for 30 years. You know, I know this stuff intellectually. But doing it physically... Um, in front of people that I trusted, you know, Phil and Janet are, are family. They're, you know, the family of choice. Um, but I did it for like 20 minutes. And I was, you know, all this stuff kept getting dredged up and the tears and the snot and the, you know, just working up. A, I didn't need to go to the gym that day. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it was that good mm-hmm. a workout. Um, and then she said after we did that, then we did the ang- we did an angry dance where we kind of leapt around the the, um, the living room, making angry faces at each other <laughs> and like you know like like the like gorilla faces and claws bared and teeth bared, you know. Right, right. And it was I mean you can get a visual. <laughs> I do, and pretty, I'm, I'm, but it was I'm laughing fun. in my head as I'm I'm like oh I can I, you know I can imagine myself do that. doing that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had such a good time. Now, and then she says, okay, you you know, now I'll read the book. And she did, and she liked it. Um, but for three days afterwards, I couldn't go to the gym because I was so sore. <laughs> I could barely walk. Um, you know, like sacral spine pain. Like, oh, my God, right. what did you do to yourself? Right. But it felt so good to get it out. And it's not once and done. I still have to express anger appropriately. Right. Part of my work um, is... Um, doing counseling with people who are in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of sometimes repressed anger with them. There's sometimes a lot of overt anger with them. So if I'm going to be modeling how to express anger appropriately, I aren't sure I better be doing it myself. Right. So that falls into that category too. Wow. Yeah, I, I like that because um, it's okay, you guys, if you – are feeling the way you do and and it's okay it's okay it's okay to acknowledge it i think when you do acknowledge it it actually makes it better it's when we tie when we tend to put ourselves in a denial state you know not acknowledging that we really are angry or not acknowledging that we really are feeling down or we're feeling like we're surrounded by darkness or whatever the case may be and we try to fake it it doesn't come off authentically to those that we try to fake it they always look at us and say there's just something not right there's just something wrong yeah, she went and she did this or whatever, but it's just not right. So it's okay to acknowledge it. And, you know, if you need help expressing it like Edie did, grab a buddy. Go get one of your girlfriends or your guy friends. You know, hey, go play a game of basketball to get it out. Or, you know, do like Edie did with her girlfriend and just go around and do these dances in the living room and acknowledge what's in you. But let it flow out because it's so much more healthier for you. And then that will open up the next step on your path to bliss. And this is what we're all about. And, um, you know, we have the bliss mistress on the show here. So she's laying down for us um, things that are really realistic that happen in everyone's life, but things that you can do to make yourself feel better and be in that and, and get to that state of bliss. Um, now, you... Um, let me ask you, 
what are some specific techniques and tools you encourage people to use to go from, you know, where they are in their lives, no matter where it is, state of bliss or whatever, or, or state of darkness or, you know, overwhelmed stress, whatever that may be, um, to where they desire to be? Because I know sometimes that's a lot, that's a, that's hard for people to see, even if they're just soaring through the air and they're flying high, sometimes still being in that, you know, that, that over joyful moments or those over joyful moments, you still sometimes can't see how to get to where you desire to be, even though you may be feeling fabulous. So can you just share with us that? Sure, absolutely. The first thing is to realize where you are. Start where you are because that's the only place that you can be. When people experience depression, it may be because they're regretting something from the past or they're they're carrying their past along with them like a big bag of rocks on their shoulders. And when people are experiencing anxiety, they're afraid of what's to come, what the future might hold. When you are living in the moment, in the here and now, that's where the safety lies, is the idea that where you are is the only safe place to be. So um, recognizing, okay, where am I right now? Do an inventory. Where, you know, where do I stand in terms of my satisfaction with my family, my friends, my life, my job, uh, my education, my health, my, you know, my relationships, whether they're romantic relationships or friendships or family relationships or coworkers. Just do an inventory. Am I satisfied? Create your own scale, you know, on a one to five scale. When I do coaching with people, um, I send them a coaching packet where I ask them to rate their satisfaction in various areas of their lives. So do that for yourself. Or if you decide to work with me, we'll do that together. Um, think about, you know, where you are right now. Then think about, okay, where do you want to be? You know, if right now your health is a two, you know, you're smoking, you're drinking, you're not eating healthfully, you're sedentary, yeah, you can barely get out of bed, um, you might want to say, okay, I'm not real content being a two. I want to amp it up a little to a seven or an eight. How do you do that? Um, so starting, so start where you are, you know, decide where you are right now, decide where you want to be, and then mm-hmm. the next step okay, what's it going to take to get you there? And that's that whole teamwork approach that I mentioned. Who are your supports? What are your assets and resources? I'm just, again, not talking about financially, although right. that's part of it, but your, your emotional, spiritual, mental, physical, community support resources. How can you engage those resources? Books. Uh, the, the people that I interviewed um, are all resources. Uh, they're inspirations for me. Music, movies. Um, when I was teaching at a, a retreat a couple months ago, um, I, I incorporate music in my workshops, and one of the women said, do you always listen to inspiring music? I said, most of the time I do. I surround myself with people who inspire me, with beauty, with, you know, with art, with music, with activities that inspire me. So if you're not feeling really inspired in your life right now, take a look around. Take a look at the, you know, the music that you love to listen to, the artist who, you know, musical artist or visual artist whose work just, ah, you know, gives you that feeling. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and, and honor yourself. Honor your intuition uh, about what feels good for you because what we were taught may not always be what feels good to us. What our family like to do doesn't always mean it's what we like to do. So honor you, honor who you are and what you like. And that's going to be one step along the way. And it's a process. You know, we're all works in progress because 
you know, I, I read something, and I keep repeating this. I read something the other day in Origin Magazine. It was an, an article by Deepak Chopra. Uh-huh. And he was talking about the reasons why people often break their New Year's resolutions. It's not because they're not motivated or they're lazy people. It's because we try to take on too many things. Have you ever known anybody that's only had one New Year's resolution? <laughs> no. Five or six or ten things. Right. And our brains go, huh? You know, it's like, he, he didn't say it this way, but I imagined, you know, the cartoon character, like, kind of, you know, you can imagine a little head shaking kind of thing when they're responding to something. Yeah, like the bubble like head. Our brains go like that and they get overwhelmed. So think about one or two changes that you want to make in your life and work on those. And once you set those in motion, then start moving toward the next ones. You know, give yourself an opportunity. It's sort of, and, and, you know, be patient with yourself, too. It's sort of like if you're planting a garden, you know, you, you, you prepare the soil, you plant the seeds, you water them, you fertilize them. You're not going to go digging them up a day later to see if they're growing. But we do that with ourselves, with goal setting. Right. You know, I do yeah. see that. You see that a lot, um, especially the the one I like to call to mind to everybody's attention, because I know everyone can relate to this, is the New Year's resolutions behind, I'm going to work out more and I'm going to lose weight. I go to the gym. I've been going to the gym, you know, faithfully um, for quite a few years. And I always can tell because in the beginning of the year, there's this influx, especially I'm going to say January. There's this influx of people (laughs) that are at the gym and, you know, doggone well that come March, these people will be gone. And the reason is it's like, why, why do so many people set themselves up for failure? Because they, they don't work out for say eight, nine, 10 months or a year or two years, whatever. And they go to the gym and they think they want to, they're trying to fit in so much into this little bit of time and then they expect to see these results real quickly. It doesn't happen yeah. like that. You know, you can't not go to the gym for years or months or whatever and yeah. then try to go head force and you're going to go every day for two hours because you know what? It becomes too much for you. It's, it's too overwhelming. And so quickly you start missing a day, then the day becomes two, three, then you're like to heck with it. I'm not going to the gym. And you're back on the same, and so you're back on that same loop. And I I agree, people put too much on their plate, and then, in essence, we set ourselves up to fail. So, when you set yourself up to fail, what's going to happen? You're going to fail. However, when you set yourself up for success, what usually happens is you will succeed. So it's just I think shifting a mindset and just having people focus on, you know, I want bliss, and not. I don't know what I could call the opposite of bliss. I would say dis, but that's... <laughs> you know, oh my well, it is. It is because you are dissing yourself. Exactly. If you don't give yourself bliss, you are dissing yourself. You're, you're disrespecting yourself. Exactly. You're disrespecting your potential. Ooh, I see, I see a blog entry on this. I, I write for a number of different venues. I'm going to quote you, woman. This is good. You go ahead, and girl. It, you quote me because I was like, I just, you know, I'm looking at something thinking bliss I'm and the opposite. Bliss and truly, yeah. you know, I like, thank you for, thank you for, um, um, thank you for letting me know that I was on point with that because, you know, oh, it's yeah. like when you are in, in bliss, you are really taking care of yourself, you're nurturing yourself, you're loving yourself, you're you're doing something for yourself. And you know that doing this for yourself, you'll be so much better for everybody else. And when you don't, and when you diss yourself, you're totally, I like that, Edie, you're totally disrespecting yourself. You're not putting yourself mm-hmm. first and you're not valuing yourself. And if you don't value yourself, how do you expect anyone else to value you? Or how do you expect ever to have moments of bliss because you're so busy dis- devaluing yourself? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, absolutely. And it's funny, a couple of thoughts that just jumped out of me when we were talking about the gym. A couple of days ago, I was I go to I go to Planet Fitness, the, the Judgment Free Zone, which is perfect for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I told you about the Monkey Mind Chatter. Yeah, I've been going there three years in November. Um, I took my you know um, I had them take an anniversary picture of me with my my iPhone because I've lost 42 pounds in the last couple of years and it Woo-hoo! feels really good. Um, and I go to the gym between three and three and five days a week depending on my schedule and my, my motivation. Uh-huh. But I know that when I go, I feel so much better. Yeah. So I was, at the, I was there a couple of days ago. I didn't go yesterday. I went the day before. And this woman comes up to me after my workout, and she said, are people here because they hate their old gym? I said, what do you mean? She said, I've noticed an upswing. I said, remember, you know, this is the beginning of the year. People become more motivated in January, so you're going to see more people here. Right. But over the, the course of the year, it's going to be a little less crowded <laughs> come June or July, mm-hmm. partly because of vacations, but you're going to see fewer people. But I see a lot of the same people day after day, which is really encouraging. And I know that when I'm doing things that feel good for me, it spills over into every area of my life. That I do this ritual for myself every time I leave the gym, I say, way to go, woman, you know, good job. Um, although I don't always believe it, and I'm sometimes still like, okay, mm-hmm. if you were... You know, if you were really good at it, you would have stayed longer, or you would have done more, or you would be thinner, or you would be stronger. Like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's part of the process. And we teach people how to treat us. You, you made that comment that the way we feel about ourselves right. is the way people are going to treat us. It's not the other way around. I've had clients, students, whoever in my life who said, you know, you can't trust other women. And I say, do you trust yourself? Do you love yourself as a woman? Um, you know, other people betray me. And I say, how loyal are you to yourself? You know, we like attracts like. We magnetize that which we are. We, you know, you can say it's cosmic foo-foo, you know, all the stuff that Abraham Hicks channeling talks about or the law of attraction, whatever you want to call it. It just works. It's not cosmic foo-foo. It's real, genuine, grounded, practical reality. Right. So that's what I practice, and I and I, I do practice what I tell, what I suggest to other people. I can't not do it because if I don't, if I'm hypocritical, the universe comes back and bites me in the butt every time. Yeah, and that's true. You know, when I get tired of it, I say, "Okay, time to change. This isn't working." That that is very true. That I, that is very true. Um, I I don't have anything to add. I'm almost like speechless. But you're right. It's <laughs> Yeah. Which is which is rare for me to be. Oh, almost. <laughs> okay, yeah, I know that's you know, that's true for me too. When I read something or see something that somebody else or hear something that somebody else has said, that I say I'm speechless, and I say that it's rare as well. But it, it resonates with the truth. And my, what's your truth barometer? Like, how do you how does your body resonate with truth? Mine is goosebumps. Whenever I get goosebumps, um, mine is. Um, <sighs> It's it's definitely gut intuition. Um, I'm intuitive. It's uh, I'm intuitive. So that came into play a lot for me um, when I, you know, was working in the emergency room. I don't want to go into that because my my listeners already, you know, know my story as a nurse or whatever. But that came into play. I just tapped into my gut. But when I thought when I when I think about it, I've been always like that since I was a little kid. So it comes to me in my stomach. In my stomach. At one point in time in my life was um, a, a hot spot for me. It's where everything was processed, everything was held in in that um, in that 
that area and, and manifested in, in problems. But um, now that I've got it all corrected and, and I'm, you know, a holistic way of living and thinking and doing and being and feeling and giving, um, I still get the receptivity in my gut. And when I get that, I know not in my heart because my heart can play tricks on me. Not mm-hmm. in my mind, because my mind can play tricks on me. My mind, your mind can sometimes tell you what you think, make you believe what really isn't the reality. You know how we mm-hmm. do that to ourselves. Yeah. But my gut, it never lies to me. It never lies to me. And so that's where that comes from for me. And I'm sure other people can relate to that as well. Um, because, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, Undescribable. It's something you feel, but you can't describe it in context of words to others. You just know, mm-hmm. you know, like when you make a decision, you just know that that decision is right or you know it's wrong. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I listen to, you know, I do my best to listen to all of them because combined they can't win, but it can't help but win. Right. Um, and, I, and I do agree with you that we can be disillusioned. And maybe, maybe being disillusioned isn't such a bad thing because if we're living in a sense of illusion, um, it's not always helpful. But, yeah, my gut, a gut feeling, that's my, my, again, my goosebumps tell me, yeah, this is correct, this is right, trust this situation, don't trust that one. You know, listen to the universe because it's going to be speaking to you all the time, in mm-hmm. your dreams, in your waking hours, when you're with people, you know, your antennas start twitching and you think, well, you know, I probably best not to do this or go there, um, right. even if it means say no, and that's a tough one for me. That's t- easier than it used to be. I'm, I'm a recovering codependent, people pleaser who would exhibit what I call savior behavior, mm-hmm. you know, trying to fix, safe, heal, cure the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm learning that no is okay, that no is a complete sentence, that they're, you know, <laughs> it's not... You know, people might be disappointed. Right. They might not like what I have to say sometimes. Right. But if I'm not true to myself, then what the heck am I doing here? Exactly. You know, why, why am I here? So, okay you know, glad say, that you listen to yours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's okay to say no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like you, too. It's, I used to always be like, well, if I say no, I'm going to hurt their feelings. Well, you know, then it start thinking, well, Rochelle, what about your feelings? What about when people say mm-hmm. no to you? Or what about your feelings? You're saying no. And you, I mean, if, if you don't say no, you're committing to something you know that you don't want to do. Your heart's not going to be in it. So you're not going to be mm-hmm. authentic when you're doing it. You're just basically going through the motion. How beneficial is that to you or anybody else that's around you at that moment in time? But I am, you know, the I take care of everybody. I'm supposed to take care of everybody. I'm supposed to handle everybody's problems, blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and, and really... You know, you just, it's okay to say no. It's okay to nurture yourself. It's okay to love yourself. It is okay, you guys, to put yourself first. And that is not being selfish. And there's no reason that you should feel guilty about it. Therefore, since it's not selfish, it's not being, and you shouldn't feel guilty behind it, it should not create any stress or overwhelm in your life. Just know and take, if you don't take anything else from what we're talking about today, take the point of, the matter is okay to say no, and it's okay to put yourself first, and it's not selfish, yeah. it's not, and you shouldn't have no guilt behind that. Yeah, absolutely, um, because saying no gives people information that they wouldn't have otherwise. Right. Um, in, a, in a workshop that I teach um, called Cuddle Party, which is another fun thing I do, it's CuddleParty.com, mm-hmm. it's a communication and boundary setting workshop. We talk about using no as a piece of information. If I come to San Francisco and I don't know my way around and I'll say to you, is the Golden Gate Bridge 
that way, like to the north of where I am, and you know it's to the south, you telling me no is going to get me to the Golden Gate Bridge faster. Right. <laughs> you telling me yes. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. So it's, you know, so it's okay. Yeah, because if I tell you no, if I don't tell you no, you may end up going across the Bay Bridge and you end up in Oakland instead of Sausalito and, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, or um, what's the um, the name of the prison? It just went right out my brain. Um, San, I'm San Quentin. San no, no, no. The one, the one in the middle of the, the bay. Oh, um, Alcatraz. Yes. Alcatraz, right. I can end up at Alcatraz. <laughs> you, you don't tell me the right way to go. Yeah, and it's the same thing in relationships. That say, think about all the relationships that you might have wanted that they said no, that the other person said no. And you might have been disappointed or sad or heartbroken at the time, but in retrospect, their no was a gift to you because it brought you in touch with people that were a yes, that were healthy for you, that, that was a good choice. How many jobs that you didn't get or how many opportunities that you wanted that were a no. Um, you know, you mentioned Michael Beckwith in the beginning of the interview. One of the things that he talks about that I love is delays are not denials. That having something take longer than you thought it should doesn't mean it's never going to happen. It took me 20 years of goal setting and vision board making and affirming and asking for and writing questions as if I was going to interview him tomorrow to get the, you know, the interview schedule with the Dalai Lama. Right. Um, and I got to do that in 2008. So I didn't give up. I just kept going with it. And it was just a remarkable lesson in perseverance. So no doesn't mean there was no, it was no for now. Right. Because there were opportunities that I thought I had and he wasn't available. And so he was. Right. And the things that we say we want happen at the very moment that they happen, not a moment sooner or a moment later than they do. I like that. You know, I go with the premise that things are supposed before, before I, you know, had this mindset because I'm type A personality and like to be in control and think I can control every, well, I thought I could control everything, right? Um, but I, uh, had this epiphany, I guess, and it was, you know, on my journey here and it's like things are supposed to happen when they're supposed to happen. And when they're supposed to happen, it's perfect. There's not going to be, you know, any, any mess with it, it's going to be perfect because it's supposed to happen at that moment in time. And if it, if you force it, it's not going to be perfect. It may happen, but it's not going to be perfect. And if you give up, then you never, you're never able to realize your dream. So I am a true believer in perseverance and keep on doing, keep on doing it and keep on doing it and keep on doing it and keep on doing it because eventually everything will line up when it's supposed to, and then, wow, you're going to shoot off like a rocket to whatever you're desiring to be, do, feel, you know, but just keep plug, plugging through. And with that, with that knowledge, that, that epiphany that I received as a, I want to say a download from, from God, it really made things be a lot, make things a lot more easier for me to deal with because I was like, it's not happening fast enough. I've been doing this for X amount of years, you know, and and then you start getting down on yourself and then you, you become depressed because you don't, you meet, don't meet your standards that you set up for yourself. And it's all an illusion in our mind to keep us off our game plan. And so just know you guys that no matter what you are, where you are, who you are, who you're with, Whatever is supposed to happen for you, it will happen in the perfect divine timing that it's meant to happen, and it will be perfect. And that's 
And that's all we have, you know, that's all I can say with regards to that. Now, before we get in, because we're coming down to the end of the show, but I want you to tell us a little bit about your first bestseller, The Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary. Tell us a little Thank you. Um, okay. Yeah, the book has been out since September of 2011. Mm-hmm. So it's been out for a little while. And it was like giving birth. Um, the Bliss Mistress persona got born a few years earlier. Um, a friend of mine dubbed me the Bliss Mistress, and he said, "If you're going to be live, if you're going to be calling yourself that, you better be living it." So the book is a series of stories, the slice of life stories that talk about love and loss and ways of transforming your life. Mm-hmm. And each one of them, at the end of the chapter, has questions, inquiry questions that help you go deeper. There are chapters like a relationship with chocolate, living orgasmically, um, what else, Zen Starbucks, um, what else, what else, standing at the crossroads, which I wrote after watching, um, uh, what's it called, I'm having a middle-aged moment here, oh my goodness, um, <laughs> um, Tuscan, um, ah, goodness. I Tuscan under the Tuscan sun. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> this is good. I'll call you as a lifeline if I'm ever on a one to be a millionaire. Uh, but stories like that, um, things that that you know, even though I'm a 54 year old woman, you know, men can relate to. Older right. people, younger people can relate to. Um, what else? Tattooed Angel um, was another story. And the book is available. It was published through Balboa Press, which is a subsidiary of Hay House. It's available on Amazon.com. And it's a lot of fun. The book is just a huge amount of fun with, to write. And people who have read it have given me amazing feedback that it really touches them because it's so them, some of the, some of the things that I write about. Right. Um, and as a result of that, I've been able to connect with people all over the world that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. And that's part of my purpose. Um, you know, besides wanting to be a, you know, a professional writer, which I, I've been in one form or another for 30 years, 20, 20, 20, 23 years. So 30 years is the, uh, the counseling profession, but 23, 24 years as a writer. And, um, I think it, it's opening doors for me that I would never have been able to open before. And I started to do bliss coaching as a result as well. Bliss stands for brilliant, loving, intuitive, safe service. Because I've learned that intuition is a huge part of coaching. So I do have a coaching practice, and people are more than welcome to engage in my services. And if they're not local to the Philadelphia area, we can do it via Skype. Um, you know, I have, I have clients all over the world. So, let so I'm happy to you. do that. So if someone yeah. wants to reach out and touch you after they hear this, how can, can tell them how they can reach out and touch you. Sure. Um, a couple different ways. One of them is my website, which is Live in Joy www.liveinjoy.org and my contact information is there. I'm also very active on Facebook. Now, they have this weird, quirky thing that you, you max out at 5,000 friends. Somehow, I have 5,200 and change. I have no idea how. Wow. I, you know, but people can subscribe to my feed and, and see what I'm up to. So, um, you know, Edie Weinstein on Facebook I also write for a number of different venues. One of them is BeliefNet, the Bliss blog. I write for Elephant Journal. Uh, I write for the Whirling, W-H-I-R-L-I-N-G blog, mm-hmm. Wisdom Magazine, um, Bellespree, B-E-L-L-E-S-P-R-I-T. So probably someone could just Google you and all the oh, yeah. stuff come up. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way okay. to so, so you guys out there listening, if you want to get um, more contact with Edie, then I'm just going to say you can go to her her website, um, 
www.livingenjoy.com or no, live in joy. Live, I'm sorry, live, live in, joy. in you know what, live and I joy. have it, live, living. <laughs> look, I put live in joy and then say yeah. living in joy, you know how that goes, but live, live in joy. Joy.com, or you can Google her, but rest assured, her information will be on the site on how you can get the book, there'll be a link, there'll be a link to her live in joy um, website, and then anything else that I can connect you with regards to Edie will be on the website as well. And so, Edie, I want to thank you as we're coming down to a close to the show. Thank you so very much for being the Bliss Mistress and sharing. First of all, thank you for being the Bliss Mistress. Second of all, for sharing your (laughs) words of wisdom with us in regards to how we can continually create bliss in our lives, even though we may be stuck or in challenging situations. Um, Very, very insightful information given. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Thanks again, Edie. And so before I close out, I just want to mention a couple things. You know, you guys, I am having the Blissful Living Retreat that's happening at the Silverado Resort and Spa in Napa, California, March 7th through the 9th. Um, it's going to be a fabulous, exclusive, luxury event, and it's limited. So I, if you're interested, you can um, connect with the webpage on the website here. But I'll also tell you it's dot the or the the blissful dash living retreat dot com again that's triple w dot the blissful dash living retreat dot com to find out more information about that would love to have or see you guys there see some of my listeners they'll be fabulous and you will have a fabulous 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 time recreating bliss in your life for the three days that you're going to be with me and with that, I'm going to just say thanks again, Edie Weinstein, for being a fabulous guest on the show today. Um, thank all of you for taking time out of your day to to listen to Blissful Living. I enjoyed sharing the guests with you, the topic, the information, and I hope you learned a lot. Uh, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And as always, I'm wishing you peace to your mind, tranquility to your spirit, and wellness to your body. And I mixed it up a little bit for you guys this time. And so with that, I'm going to say have a fabulous day. May you live in bliss. Be well. And uh, I'll see you next week. Take good care, everyone. And bye for now. You can find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson, R-O-C-H-E-L-E, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N, or at healthhealingwellness.com. Or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. Thanks for joining us.